Today's message is entitled Traps, Traps. And today I I really want to do some teaching, if you don't mind, some teaching. Um, There are some things that require that we're taught. In In many instances in our homes and in our families growing up, we weren't taught about sex. We weren't taught. Uh, we were told something about it, like stay out of the back seat of the cars, you know, um, good girls keep their dresses down, you know, stuff like that. Um, but we weren't taught. So consequently, when you're not taught, you are a candidate for a trap. Yeah. It's teaching that helps equip us for the traps that are inevitable. Somebody say inevitable. In other words, it's impossible, it's impossible to avoid traps. As I said on last week, everybody is tempted. Everyone has experienced sexual temptation. And at some point or another, everyone will also face a trap. Face a trap. Face a trap. Um, guess it's March Madness time. Amen. Basketball 24-7. And, um, um, anybody's, anybody's bracket still intact? Yeah, nobody saw Butler beating uh, Pittsburgh, didn't see Louisville losing to who? Who did lose? Moorhead? You did see Carolina winning the national championship. You see that, right? You see that. You see that. You see that. Traps. Now, get, you know, during this time, I love this time of year because it's going to be a lot of basketball, a lot of replays. And on the replays, we're going to see a lot of great dunks. We're going to see a lot of buzzer beaters, guys who hit the basket at the last second of the game, running off the court in exhilaration. We're going to see a a, a lot of guards driving to the basket and evading all of the defenders. But one of the things you will not see much on the replay is something that almost every coach is going to call for during some point of the game. And that is this type of defense called the trap. Won't see that on the highlights, but it's going to happen in every game. And the traps are many times are going to determine. It looks like the dunk, looks like the out, the last minute shot. But the trap is in many instances is going to determine the outcome of the game. See, the trap is a very intense, high pressure attack against the team that has the ball. And what it is designed to do is to force the team with the ball to make a mistake. Now, in life, as on the basketball court, how we deal with the trap can determine the outcome of the game. It can determine the outcome of your career. It can determine the outcome of your marriage, your family, and it can determine your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Now, 
as it relates to sex, and of course we've 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 shared that if you you feel as though this subject is too mature for children, we like for our middle school and high school children kids to be here, but they're elementary school kids. We certainly have our children's church that is available. As it relates to sex, everybody is vulnerable to traps. I know you're suave and cool and sophisticated. Yeah, I know you're experienced, been there, done that. But you never get too advanced for a trap. You're in middle school or high school. Your teacher has given your class an assignment. Your assignment is uh, to do a report on natural disasters when a tornado meets a volcano. You know, you wanna, that's your project, and you're going to write that. You're on the computer. You are unsupervised. You're supposed to be researching volcanoes and tornadoes, but there are websites that will just pop up, just pop up that are designed to trap you, to distract you, to steal away your time and attention from what you're supposed to be focusing on. Do you not know that something as innocent as a cup of coffee with a colleague could be the front end of a trap? Looks like a little mocha. Ends up a big mess. Yeah. See, because traps are most effective when you don't see them coming. And this is where Judah is in the text that we read. If if Judah's wife was still alive, she was still alive, she probably would have said something, or she may have said this to him while she was alive. She probably would have said to Judah something like this. Judah, something about that girl Tamar, I can't put my finger on it, but I've noticed how she's all polite and nice to you and Yes, sir, Mr. Judah. Yes, sir, I'll take care of that. He said, you, you need to be careful when you are around Tamar. He said, I, I don't know what it is, but it's some, something, something. Y'all women looking at me like I'm crazy, but I know, I know. I, it, it's something about her, you know. Brothers don't talk like that. Brothers don't talk like that. Brothers don't talk like that. But women always seem to notice something in other women. I don't know what that is. I mean, uh, they, they just never even seen the woman before. They don't know anything about it. But they walk in the room and this, uh, some antenna goes up. And they're looking at their husband or, they, or their boyfriend. They're looking at the other woman. They've never been in the environment before. But some kind of signal, something there. Uh, something about her. Something about her. And, I, and, and she had looked her husband or boyfriend in the eye. Tell you need to be careful. You need to be careful when you are around her. And, and, and she probably told Judah that. And Judah probably said back to her, well, you're just paranoid. You're just paranoid. You don't even know her. What's, what's going on? What's going on? But let me just say something, brothers. Yeah, it's a lot of times your wives are wrong. But anytime they come up to you with that line, you know, it's something about her. Just take them at their word and leave them alone. Somebody say amen. 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 Just, just leave them alone. Go the other way. Because when I read the female commentary on men, fourth chapter, uh, fifth paragraph, sixth line, and it says this in the women's commentary on men regarding traps, they never see it coming. (laughs) That's what the women's commentary say about men. Men never see them coming. And this, 
Well, hey, y'all work that out in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is where Judah is. This is where Judah is. Judah is right here in this text. What's getting ready to happen, he, 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 he does not see it. Let me just revisit the story. Um, Judah has two older sons who were both married successively to Tamar. Both of them died prematurely, leaving one son eligible to be married to her. Judah promises Tamar that the baby boy could marry uh, Tamar when he is old enough, but he reneges on the promise. He doesn't keep it. Tamar becomes angry that Judah did not keep his promise, and she allowed, somebody say allowed, and she allowed her hurt to develop into vengeance on the inside of her. You see, the problem is never on the outside of us. It's always on the inside of us. We know what Judah did to her, but the issue was what was going on on the inside. And so what happens uh, as her hurt is developing into anger and her anger is going to develop into a plot and her plot's going to develop into an act of revenge, Judah's wife also dies. And it says sometimes later, Judah takes his sheep to the market in Timnah and uh, Tamar gets wind of the news that Papa Judah is going into the city on a business trip. And so she sees this as her opportunity and she decides that she would go on a little business trip too. But she's going for a different reason. Her goal is to gain the upper hand on Judah. Listen at this very carefully, brothers. Her goal is to gain the upper hand on Judah by having sex with him with the hope that she would get pregnant. And by getting pregnant, she would force Judah to then support her and her child. I'm going to say that again. Her, she doesn't tell, she doesn't write this down and tell anybody, but her goal is to force or to trick Judah to gain the upper hand by having sex with him with the hope of getting pregnant, thereby forcing Judah to support her and her child. Now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no, well... I'm just trying to tell a brother something. You ain't always that cute. You ain't always that smart. But sometimes there's a plan for you that you have no knowledge of. Yeah. But Tamar, Tamar is also, while she's trying, you see, you can't trap somebody else without being vulnerable to the trap yourself. And she is so focused on carrying out her plan that she does not think about the community backlash that she's prone to experience if this comes to pass. She does not care right now based on how she's feeling. She doesn't care about this child, about how this child born under these circumstances will answer the question, who's your daddy? 
eventually he's going to have to answer that. She doesn't think, she doesn't think, she doesn't think about the fights that this child is going to have to have in the cafeteria and on the playground when another kid walks up to him and says, my mama says your mama is a hooker. She doesn't think about that. She doesn't think about that. All she thinks about is getting what she wants and she's willing to use sex in order to get it. Now, as crazy as this story is, Tamar actually carries this out. She disguises herself as a prostitute. She strategically places herself on the road, going to Timnah, waiting and enticing Judah to proposition her as he makes his way to the city. Now, Judah is playing the man game. Now, this doesn't apply to all men, but I'll just say like my grandmother used to say, men will be men. Boys will be boys. Judah's playing the man game. What is the man game? Um, This is the man game. The man game is this. He plans to do it. He wants to do what it do, but he's going to cover it up. Yeah, he's going to do it. He's going to do it, but he's going to cover it up. He's playing the man game, but Tamar is playing for keeps. Yeah. After all, you see, Judah's going to cover it up because what happens in the city, what? Stays in the city. He's not home. He's out of town. What happens in Vegas, what happens on the cruise stays on the cruise. But check this. Tamar didn't get that memo. You see, her plan was to do what it do, and then, when the time was right, strategically put a post and a picture on Facebook. His goal is to conceal it. Her goal is to reveal it at the proper time. And because Judah does not check his temptations, he's a lamb heading to slaughter. Now, brothers and sisters, the unschooled, the undisciplined and the spiritually undeveloped, for all of those persons, sex is a trap that can derail your witness for Jesus Christ. And listen, whether you're married or single, there will be, now note this, note this, note this, whether you're married or single, there will be times when sex is offered to you that you must be willing to refuse. Because it is not right. There are times when our willingness to participate in a sexual act is not right. And many times it is not the will of God. Let's do some little teaching on, on, on this. I wanna, this is what I call a trap talk. Trap talk. And this is teaching. This is on your worksheets also. The absence, the absence, and I want you to realize this, the absence of a sexual partner makes one vulnerable for sexual traps. And basically what I'm saying is that if you're single, that's the, that's the first blank for single people. If you're single, managing sexuality is much different than if you have a healthy, happy marriage. 
I would get some amens if I was at the University of Miami, but since I'm at the Fountain of New Life, nobody familiar with that. But I, if I was at Florida State and I was at uh, Bethune-Cookman and fam, somebody would say amen. It's one thing to talk about sexual discipline when you're married, and it's another thing to talk about it if you're single. And so um, the absence of a sexual partner makes one vulnerable. It, whether you're married, if you're married to a partner that is incapable of having sex. So if your partner has become sick physically or mentally and is no longer capable of having sex, then there is a dilemma that is presented to the healthier partner. If you are a widow or a widower, you used to be married and you had a great wife or a great husband and they knew how to do what it do and man they're gone now you're going to miss that and it's going to be a, a dilemma how you handle that or if you have a partner who you're married to they're there physically but they're not there emotionally they're somewhere else emotionally um, it can create dilemmas and make us vulnerable for sexual traps the absence of a strong sense of self makes one vulnerable to traps. In other words, low self-esteem will make us uh, make sexual decisions that a person with a healthier sense of self might not make. And so the advice to us is to build, somebody say build. Build your sense of self. When you feel good about yourself, you will make good decisions for yourself. You know, one of the ways to build your self-esteem is to believe what the Bible says about you. First Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 9 says in the King James Version, For you are a chosen generation. You are a, ro- uh, uh, you are a royal people. Uh, uh, you are a, a royal priesthood and a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, then to build our self-esteem, we have to reject what the world says about us and embrace what God says about us. God says, I'm somebody. Yeah, I'm somebody special. I'm somebody valuable. And I don't need words of trickery wrapped in a face of of kindness to try to convince me that I'm somebody. Even if nobody tells me I'm cute, I'm cute to God. I wish I had something. Even if nobody tells me I'm fine, when God sees me, he says, you are fearfully. He said, child, when I made you, I broke the mold. I just went beside myself. You, You see, because you are special, And you are valuable just in who you are. Amen. Amen. Believe the Bible and what the Bible says about you. Next, friends cannot be blamed for our sexual behavior. You know, you can't say, well, if I wasn't hanging around so-and-so, if I wasn't with so-and-so, if so-and-so. You see, ultimately, we make our own decisions. Am I right about that? Yeah. Ultimately, we make our own decisions. And it is never spiritually healthy to blame others for what we do. If you do it, then you did it. Take responsibility for what you do because we do what we do as a response of what is in us. We don't do what we do as a response to what's in other people. We do what we do because something's in us. And so uh, let's not play the blame game. 
Next, Judah, and, 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 and this is an interesting point, Judah, and we're teaching here, Judah wanted on his road to Timnah, the reason Tamar knew she could set up shop on the road is because she knew that Judah had an appetite for what we called last week secret sex. And so Judah wanted physical gratification and Tamar wanted emotional fulfillment. Now, just teaching. I'm going to be honest in here, all right? Men and women approach sex differently. By and large. Yeah. By and large, men and women approach sex differently. If there was no physical pleasure in sex, it's highly probable men would not be interested in it at all. I'm just being honest. Brother would say, you mean tell me I'm going to do that just so I feel close? <laughs> no, no, we got to feel more than close. That is how men think. But it is not so for women. Though physical pleasure is a part of it, there is an emotional side to sex that is just as important to women as the physical size side is. You'll never find men who are angry, disappointed, bitter, who will say, well, we just gonna stop having sex. <laughs> They'll stop talking, you know, but they'll argue, but they're still going to want to. Now, that throws a woman off. Now, you, you don't want to talk. You don't want to hold my hand. You don't want to pay any attention to me. Only time you had anything to say to me is when you come in the house with your Marvin Gaye, let's get it on CD playing. Come on, come on, player, player. You got to come better than that. They approach sex from two different places. And that's just how it is. Somebody says how it is. So check this. Men must monitor how they address their physical needs because we're vulnerable there. And women must monitor how they fulfill their emotional needs because they're vulnerable there for your worksheet. You want to note this. What we wear and where we go matters in terms of how we deal with sex. What we wear and where we go. What you wear and where you go may determine how this whole issue of traps and temptations play out in your life. I want you to notice something about Judah and Tamar. When Judah was leaving home going into town, Probably with his own on his mind to have a sexual experience. He just gets up, gets dressed and goes into town. Tamar, on the other hand, knowing that she's going to try to entrap her father-in-law in this sexual experience. The Bible says one of the first things she does is she changes her clothes. 
I had to stand up on that one. Yeah, yeah. She, she, well, why didn't she keep the same clothes on that she had on? It's because she knew. Y'all not feeling me, but yeah, she knew that there were certain pieces of apparel in her closet that said things that other pieces of apparel in her closet could not say. I wish I had some help. Yeah, even though she was young, she was still foxy, her shape was still there, but there were certain pieces of clothing in her closet that would say what she wanted to say without her having to say it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 and so what we're, what we're trying to say here is what you wear does make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, just because you put on the sexy clothes does not mean that you want to have sex. But what it does say to the person who's looking at the clothes that you have on, you may be communicating something. Come on now. You're communicating something to the observer by the virtue of the clothes that you have on. And since men are primarily, first of all, interested in what they see. And so, in this whole area of dealing with temptation and traps. See, you maybe just think you look sexy. But a brother who's smooth enough knows how to work himself around all that. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk quickly about the purpose of sex. The purpose of sex. So, in, in regards to that last point, the Bible teaches us to dress modestly so as not to draw attention to ourselves sexually in public. Amen. Now, how you do that in this society, that's another sermon. Let's talk about the purpose of sex. Sex is a physical act reserved for married people. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So we're just teaching today. We're teaching, all right? We're teaching because we want to get better. Sex is a physical act reserved for married people. Genesis chapter 2, 24. For Christians, marriage is a divine picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride. Marriage is the spiritual representation of our relationship with God. So when you see a husband and a wife and they're married, what the marriage is supposed to reflect, what it is supposed to look like, is the relationship that Christ has with his church. Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen. And so the church is the bride of Christ, always subject to the head. And so the marriage is supposed to reflect that. Number two, sex is an act between a husband and a wife that also produces offspring. So uh, procreation is an act that is designed by God. God created it. And the sexual act is designed for both pleasure and procreation. There is, there is a possibility for pregnancy whenever we have sex. Even with birth control, no birth control says that it is 100% guaranteed. There's no birth control that, that boasts that. Anytime you have sex, there's the potential for pregnancy. And the only type of sex condoned in the Bible is male-female sex in the context of marriage. 
Now, maybe old-fashioned, but it's still the Bible. Don't y'all look at me funny. Number three, how does one manage the temptations and the traps? First, honor. This is going to sound strange to you, but this is where we start. Honor, virginity, and abstinence. Y'all clapping like I'm George W. Bush up here. <laughs> Can't get no applause yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that one. But, but listen, my brothers and sisters, the Bible talks about abstinence and the Bible talks about virginity. We live in a society that has a very low view of both. Uh, You cannot buy a magazine. You cannot uh, look at the cover or the contents. You cannot watch television. You cannot watch a good movie without somehow there's the denigration of these values of abstinence and virginity. But let me just say that if you are a young person and you are not married, it is still honorable to be a virgin. There's nothing wrong with you because you are single and have never had sex with a person before. It doesn't mean something is wrong with you. Just because you don't use it don't mean the plumbing ain't working. I wish I had um, help in the house. Yeah, just because you don't use it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that I'm going to use it in a way that God has designed for me to use it. So the first place to start is to have a high value. Somebody say high value. And, and, we, and we need to reintroduce this in our community. Somebody say amen. We need to reintroduce this into the African-American community that we have a high value on abstinence and virginity. When we hear that our young boys are 17 years old and they're in graduating from high school and they have fought a good fight and kept the faith and they have not slept with anybody, we don't have to say we need to check with you. We need to say we need to give you a standing ovation. We need to give you a standing ovation. You're 18 and you don't, uh, you, you, you're, not, you're not pregnant and you haven't impregnated somebody. That's when the church needs to stand up and give God a hand clap of praise. Say these young people are on their way way somewhere they have their values and their morals in place and it makes a difference uh, as I was as I've shared before in the, in sermon the number one cause of, pro- of poverty is premature pregnancy secondly how do we deal with traps bounce from a trap bounce you gotta bounce listen you gotta bounce you gotta bounce listen now the king james version says this flee sexual immorality listen my brothers and sisters i know you're smart you're articulate you got great verbal skills you got a long wide vocabulary you took the verbal advantage i mean you did well on your spelling test but there are some things you can't talk your way out of some things not good to stand there and say let's try to talk through this let's try to negotiate our way you see the sexual temptation can be so strong that if you cross a certain point Oh, y'all quiet on me. If you go past a certain point, ain't going to be no turning back. I wish I had some. Yeah, if you, if you go this far, for some, for some, if you just go this far, ain't going to be no turning back. So the Bible says whenever you see a sexual temptation or trap that you know you're not going to have the inner strength nor the outer strength to deal with, the best thing that you can do is take off your stilettos, 
put on your PF flyers and your Nikes and hit the road jack. Run as fast as you can run. Leave that alone because you're going to end up in a mess. Yeah, yeah. And many of us, we can say we thought we thought the night was going to turn out differently. So the Bible says, bounce, leave it, run, avoid it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 20 through 20. Read that in your leisure. Next, listen to the trap survivors. Now, you're sitting next to folks in the house that's been cleaned up. They've been sanctified. They are born again. You know, they feel with the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. They got the Holy Ghost on the inside, sanctified with a burning fire. But many of the people who are sanctified with this burning fire are also trap survivors. I wish I had some. In other words, uh, they saw some traps, fell victim to some traps, paid the penalty for what the trap caused, and they survived it. I, I wish I had. So, yeah, yeah, it didn't kill them. They survived it. They went through hell because they fell through the trap, but they survived it. They have a story to tell. They have a testimony to share. And when they begin to share with you what they went through, you've got to pay attention. When somebody that is old, older now tells your baby you need to leave that alone. So they tell you, baby, that fella's not coming around here for nothing but to mess you up. Baby, uh, she's too fast for you. Why? How do they know? Because he was too fast for her and she was too fast for him. They are trap survivors. Listen to the trap survivors. You got to pay attention to them. It's right here in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Solomon says, dear friend, pay close attention to this. My wisdom, listen very closely to what I have to say and the way I see it. The, ways, the reason Solomon could talk that talk is because the Bible says about Solomon, Solomon had 700 wives. Come on now. 700. 700. Now, he ain't married all of them because he was smooth. Some of them tricked him and trapped him into getting mad. 700 wives. And then the Bible says he had 300 girlfriends on the side. Solomon said, listen, man. Listen, ain't that much player in the world. Pay attention to what I have to say. He said, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. And so you want to listen to those. That's why it's important, young people, to listen to your parents. Your parents are not just talking out of some manual or some book or some encyclopedia or website that they, that they, that, that, that they serve. Your parents are talking from experiences that they have. They have seen it or they've experienced it themselves. And they know that the road that you're traveling is either going to lead you to a place of prosperity or a place of destruction. Listen to them. Pay attention because you are not exempt. Proverbs chapter 3, five, chapter 5, verse 3 through 6 says you are not exempt. What has happened to other people will happen to you also. Next, develop a close relationship with your spouse if you're married. How do you deal with temptation? How do you deal with these traps? Now, they're going to come. The best way for a married person to deal with a trap is to develop a close relationship with their spouse. Now you got, and then li- listen, listen, you're going to fall into a trap if you're not tight with your spouse. Now the first indication that you're not tight with your spouse is that stuff happens when you're not with your spouse that you can't spell, tell your spouse when you get with him. Y'all not, or, or get with, yeah, no, 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 that's, 
that's the first indication that you ain't tight. Is that while you're gone, stuff happens that when you get together, you can't talk about. You see, but when you're tight, you can talk about whatever has happened, whether you're with them or not. I wish I had some help in the house. Develop a close relationship with your spouse. And then recognize that in the end, the risk may not be worth the reward. Yeah, you had a good time. You're kicking it. Yeah, we're just kicking it. We're just chilling. But at the end of the day, all that kicking it and all that chilling may come back to bite you right in the seat of your pants. Proverbs chapter 15, 21 through 23. It says, Mark well, God doesn't miss a move you make. He's aware of every step you take. The shadow of your sin will overtake you. And you will find yourself stumbling all over yourself in the dark. Death is the reward for the undisciplined in life. Foolishness, your foolish decisions trap you into a dead end. And then finally, honor God with your life. Realize why you're here. Realize the purpose that you're here is to honor God with your life. Story about Yogi Berra. Some of you all remember Yogi Berra, the great catcher for the New York Yankees. Hank Aaron, the great uh, outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. One day, they're playing an all-star game, and Yogi Berra was catching. Hank Aaron came up to the plat- plate, and one of the jobs of the catcher is always to distract the hitter. You know, so if anybody in here has played catcher before, you, when, the, when, the, when the batter comes to the plate, you talk about the batter's mama. You know, you call him all kind of names and, you know, talk about his family, trying to distract him. And so what Yogi Berra was doing, he was trying to distract Hank Aaron, and he, and he said to Hank Aaron, he said, Hank, he said, listen, you got your bat positioned wrong in your hand. You need to turn the writing on the bat the other direction. Pitcher throws a pitch strike right down the middle of the plate. And so he throws the ball back to the pitcher, and Yogi keeps talking to Hank Aaron. He says, listen, he said, Hank, you need to reposition the bat in your hand. Turn the writing the other way. Ball comes, and Hank Aaron hits a line drive home run. Over the left field fence. He goes and jogs around the bases first, second, third base, comes home, touch the plate, heads to his dugout. And he stops and turns around and says to Yogi, he says, listen, I didn't come here to read. I came here to hit. And see, my brothers and sisters, the reason the devil sometimes can get us trapped up is because we don't realize why we're here. We don't understand our purpose. We don't understand that God has a calling on our lives, that God, there's an anointing on your life. Listen, the devil knows, the devil knows why God has you here and why God has stationed you here. There's an anointing and a calling God has on your life. But if you ever become confused about why you're here, you're always vulnerable to the traps. But Jesus knew how to deal with a trap. When Jesus was tempted and the devil tried to lay a trap from him, Jesus knew how to deal with it. The Bible says that in the fourth chapter of Matthew, that the devil took Jesus up to a very high place. He knew that Jesus was used to high stuff. That's where he came from. Jesus came from heaven here. Jesus was used to comfort. He was used to doing certain things and having certain things. But I just want to say, when you come to know God, some of the stuff you've been used to before, you cannot continue in them. You see, because when God comes into our life, he changes us. Can I get some help in here? But anyway, 
what the devil said to Jesus. Look, I will show you all the king. Aren't you a king? Aren't you, didn't you come here to rule and to reign? Here are all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give you all of the kingdoms and I will also give you all the splendor. You see, it's hard to have king running through your veins and king running through your blood without aspiring to rule. And when Jesus saw all the kingdoms of the world, he saw all the splendor of the kingdoms and he saw who was offering them to him. He said, this ain't nothing but a trap because first of all, I done seen the deeds to the kingdom and I've seen who the glory belongs to. And he said to Satan, get behind me, Satan. You got to understand that some traps, uh, it ain't the girl's skirt. It ain't the brother's abs. Uh, some traps ain't nothing but the devil. I wish I had some help. Ain't nothing but the devil trying to mess up your career, trying to mess up your family, trying to mess up your life. He's seen how God has lifted you up. He's seen how you have stood in the midst. Now he's trying to tear down in about 15 minutes what it took 15 years for you to achieve. You got to be able to stand your ground. Look the devil in the eye. Say, devil, I ain't blinking. I ain't shuffling and I'm not jiving. Get behind me. You got to walk behind me. I am pressing my way towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Devil, get behind me. God has put too much anointing on my life for me to waste it on a skirt and some abs. Get behind me, Satan. Ain't no dinner. Ain't no ride. Ain't no apartment. Ain't no sheep money worth me messing up my anointing. God has too much calling on my life. Get behind me. And the devil, one thing the devil understands, he understands protocol. He understands change of command, chain of command. And so when you tell him to get behind you in the name of Jesus, that's exactly what he does. And so you got to be able to speak to it. Say, I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I may have to do without some things, but I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They may call me funny, may laugh at me, may make jokes, but I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm going to be standing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Clap your hands if you will. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. We, we extend an invitation if you're present today. We know the challenges related to this area of life. That's why we're preaching on it. We're not preaching for condemnation. We're preaching for empowerment, for change. Because God is able to provide us power and to change our lives. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as Savior, I want to invite you to come. Because that's the first step, is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. If you're here today, you've never done that, we invite you to come. Even right now, we invite you to come. We invite you to come. If you're here today, you've never given Jesus the Lord, your your life, never made him Lord of your life, we invite you to come. We invite you to come now. We invite you to come now because the, the, the person who can help you the most with this 
is Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says he was tempted in every way just like we are. So you don't have any temptations that Jesus didn't face. Yet, without sin. So if you're here today, I want to invite you to come. If you've never given Jesus your heart, come. 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 And you know if you need to come. You know that. You come. Come on, young lady. Come on. All I need, all I need, all you need is a touch. There's somebody else who needs to give Jesus Christ his or her life. You come. You come. If you don't have a church home or a church family and God is leading you to be a part of this church, we invite you to come. You come. Is a touch from you. Somebody who wants to do better. No one wants to be victorious even in this area of your life come on come on wants to honor God and make it somebody else you come now is a touch does not matter where you've been what you've done God is able to make you a new creature. There's somebody else.